Well, good morning, Cross Point Community Church. It is so wonderful to see you here this morning. Uh, I want to welcome everyone, whether you're visiting with us this morning or you're, you're a regular attender, whether you're watching online or to be listening on the radio. We are thrilled you have joined us for study this morning. Um, and I hope today is a blessing to your soul as we study into Romans chapter 8. I do want to take this time to dismiss our first through third graders. Miss Danielle's in the back waving her hand. Uh, first through third graders, you're welcome to, to go now. Parents, if you have not signed them in, this would be a wonderful time uh, to sign them in and to come back for uh, our worship through proclamation of the word. My friends here today, would you take your Bibles and would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're on this journey through Romans and today we start into one of the most dynamic passages in all of God's holy word. I just want to start off today by saying this. I love Romans 8. <laughs> I love this chapter. Uh, when we started in Romans, um, not quite a year ago, but when we started in Romans, I have been looking forward to getting into this text the entire time. And to hold on. <laughs> Here we go. I get so excited about Romans chapter 8. I mean, who can't get excited about a chapter that starts like this? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful text of scriptures. So this morning we will be starting into this. Um, I can't tell you how many times in my Christian walk that I've run back to. Not just like a walk back to or like a, a jog back to, but I've sprinted back to Romans chapter 8. The encouragement of one of the most stabilizing passages in all of the scriptures. If you, along with me, so many times in my life are struggling to process how a believer should function through the outright ridiculousness of the sin-cursed world we live in right now, well, I'm going to tell you, Romans 8 is for you. If you, my friend, are struggling through doubts and discouragement and pain and heartache and temptations and addictions, my friend, Romans 8 is for you. If you are seeking to glorify God through every action and reaction and word and deed, but you still have to get up on Monday morning with that cranky predisposition, my friends, Romans chapter 8 is for us. So I hope your heart has been prepared to get into this chapter. I will say this, um, as much as I just want to pile through this for the next six hours, uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to take the next two months to unfold Romans 8. We're going to be in Romans 8, as this says, 1 through 17 over the next month in different stages. We're going to highlight different aspects of this chapter, even today. So on your handout here, I guarantee we're not going to make it all the way through this today. All right, it's just a, just a, a thought. We're going to get into about 35, 40 minutes of this, and you're going to be like, hold on a second. He hasn't even touched on point one. <laughs> no panic is necessary. When we come to a given point, we will stop, and we will pick up where we left off. Uh, this week, we'll pick up next week right where we left off. 
So far on our journey through the book of Romans, you'll remember and you can see this, and I try to remind us every week, the outline on the back, this is where we've been. Uh, So far we've interacted with this concept of condemnation in chapters 1 through 3. We've interacted with this concept of justification, being declared righteous in chapters 4 and 5 primarily. All of these chapters flowing together in the theme of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And now in our discussion, we're on this wonderful discussion. It is on sanctification. This sanctification, what is this? This Christianese word that we just throw out so often, well, what does it mean? Well, as we've seen in the last couple months now, well, because we took a little bit of a break, what does this mean? You can see on the back of your handout again. It means to be set aside for a purpose. It means to be consecrated. In a very practical way, it means the, it is the process of spiritual growth by which all true believers, and I'll highlight the word all true believers, all are consecrated away from sin and toward Christ-likeness. This sanctification that we're talking about includes both the battle against temptation, the temptations of our remaining sinful flesh, as we talked of last week, but also It is the dedication for growth in our lives. So, when we talk of sanctification, it is including battling and growing. Both of these come together in this wonderful word, sanctification, and both are driven, as the topic we will see today, by the dynamic power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Even though, as we talked of last week, I don't know, I, I... I get through Romans 7, and you're just a bit downhearted. Even though we know we've been, we're sinners saved by God's amazing grace. Our identity has been changed. Our heart has been transformed. You read through Romans 7, and you think, if, if Paul struggles like this, I've got no hope. <laughs> really, you come to that conclusion. Sometimes it takes a while to get to it, but you come to that, and we have to interact with this. We cannot do this sanctification thing on our own. I mean, I think that's the very clear point that Paul makes all the way through Romans 7. If you think you're strong enough to do this, if you think you can muster up enough ability to do this sanctification thing on your own, you're sorely misguided. You cannot take one step in sanctification on your own. So then we come to the end of Romans 7, and if you're like me, you're like, okay, then how do we do this? Thanks, Paul, but how do you do this? How can I get up in the morning and live for Jesus in the broken world, sin-cursed world that I'm called to live in and minister in? How can I really do this? Well, Paul is so crystal clear in this in Romans chapter one verses eight, uh, Romans chapter eight verses one through seventeen. Even though our hearts have been transformed because of our remaining sinful flesh, we desperately need 
a power that is greater than ourselves. And now enter into the discussion the wonderful third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, would you look with me this morning? I'm going to read all of these verses. So uh, you can follow along if you have like triple power um, bifocals. You can see the back. Uh, it's really small. Sorry, that is my fault. Uh, but you can kind of look at that. If you're holding it up like this, I understand. If not, you have the Bible and your device. But would you join me or just follow along as I read Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17. And as we go through this text, I would encourage you, if you highlight or underline or circle, would you underline or highlight or circle every time the third person of the Trinity, we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God, is mentioned in these 17 verses. It'll take a couple verses to get there, but then all of a sudden it is just, you just see this wonderful display of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's start in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, and here's a word you might want to circle, in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. These are unregenerate people. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Their bent is towards the ways of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh, is hostile to God. Check that. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. Praise God Almighty for Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Verse 9, you are not characterized. Your bent is not toward the flesh if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. This happens at salvation. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors 
not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father! Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot in this. If your mind's not fooled by just reading this, Maybe we need to read it again. <laughs> we will not. We will take the next month and just work through these 17 verses. We're going to expose different key themes through this. Three key truths from this text, but today we're going to look at this wonderful key idea from these 17 verses. This week and the next, we will focus directly on this key truth. And here's the key truth. As they seek for strength on their journey of sanctification, we're talking about both growth and battle, all true believers should embrace the continual comfort of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What is our ability and our power in sanctification? How does sanctification happen? Where do you find strength to battle when you get up in the morning? Where do you find strength to take another step in your spiritual walk when you go to school or to work? My friends, this text assures us that it is only through the power and presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit, as we see through this text, that will never leave you comfortless. And we are going to hold on to that with all we have. I want us to take, though, before we get into your lineup of of points here, these wonderful assurances and comforts of the Holy Spirit, I want us to take some time this morning as sort of a refresher discussion on the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. Let's just take a couple minutes and talk of this. This will not be exhaustive, but it will highlight some of these important truths that we need to interact with when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. This will not be in your notes. There's about a half-inch space that you can take all of these notes on in the back. Um... We're going to reference a couple passages that I would encourage you to write these down. I would encourage you to take these to your devotion time in the mornings, your time with God in the morning. Take these to your life groups and discuss these passages. But I want us to ask, what about this Holy Spirit of God? We need to understand that when we get to Romans chapter 8 in the Scriptures, there's a lot of discussion that has already happened about the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, 
when you get to Romans chapter 8, this, I believe, is essentially a fulfillment of the promises of God through the Scriptures. You're saying, what are you talking about, Pastor Andrew? Well, if you go back 700 years before this was even written, you're going to find a wonderful promise through the prophet Jeremiah, where the Lord says this, and you can write down Jeremiah 31, 33. Some debate on, on whether this new covenant applies to the new covenant believer, and I would say dynamically, yes, in some sense, in most sense, in almost all sense. But what does, what does the promise look like in Jeremiah 31? Here's what it looks like. God Almighty says, I will put my law, catch this, within them. And I will be their gods, their God. And they shall be my people. We find this exposed a little bit more through the prophet Ezekiel, 600 years before Romans was written. What does Ezekiel say? Write down Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. Go there this week. Why? Let me read this. God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, we read this, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Catch that, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to just read that verse one more time. This is so good. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why do I say Romans 8 is a fulfillment of a promise? Because it is fulfilling what we find in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. We must remember as you go through scriptures, you got your Old Testament, that you come to the beginning of the New Testament. We come to this wonderful passage, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Prior to going to the cross, Jesus Christ himself in the upper room encourages his disciples. Do you remember this? John chapter 13, what a wonderful expression of servanthood. He washes their feet. Do you remember this? But then we come to John chapter 14. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, knows that these disciples are going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. This is going to be a very troubling 24 hours for them that will lead them into not so easy 50 days um, and more. But I love what Jesus Christ himself says in John chapter 14. Catch this, would you? John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, that's such a good statement. If you love God, you will keep his commandments. But then you realize there are some very troubled disciples who are listening to this including one Peter, who within the next ten hours will have denied that he knew Jesus three times. 
proving you cannot do it on your own. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But then we really need to run to what he says next. Here it is, uh, verse 16 of John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. This is so good. Some of your translations will say, a helper. You are not going to do this on your own. You need a helper. And then he starts to describe this helper. He will be with you forever. Okay, he's not going to leak out the bottom of your shoes. He's not going to abandon you when you get into temptation scenarios. He will be with you, how long? Forever. And then we come to... um, Verse 17, and he defines him more in John 14, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. My friends, this is what Jesus Christ himself says before he goes to the cross. And The next 10 verses, he says it again. Write down John chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. He exposes this spirit again. If Jesus Christ himself, prior to going to the cross, says something two times, you better pay attention. And so what does he say again? As if I really wanted you guys to get this. Here it is, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the comforter, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we could take a massive dose of that in the 21st century. Don't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus has spoken in the all-sufficient Word, and He has told us that He will provide for us a helper, a comforter, and He will be with us Not just today and leave us tomorrow or some of the days of this week or some of the hours of this week. Every moment of every day this week, the Holy Spirit of God is going to be working in the hearts of the regenerate ones. Praise God for that fact. Well, what about this Holy Spirit? A lot in contemporary Christianity about this. And I will say, just like in life, sometimes we focus on the wrong parts of things. Um, I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to coach. Well, I coached David's soccer team, and we had a game yesterday. A couple weeks ago, there was a couple of guys that weren't our normal part of the squad, and they joined the squad. And one of these guys in particular thought he knew everything about soccer. Little 10-year-old. And I'm coaching him, and, oh, coach, 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 we need to do this, and we need to do this. In fact, on the field, he was looking over at me, and, like, and he was directing me, just shake my head. And he was bringing up things about the game, 
that made no sense. And they meant like a little bit to the team. Like, like, honestly, one of the things he said to the team, we were talking about this last night, he's like, guys, don't be afraid of the soccer ball. It's only rubber. <laughs> and he's not even part of the squad. And these guys look at him and say, dude, what is your problem? Why do I bring that up? It's in most of our lives. There's areas of life that we focus on the things that we're not generally meant to focus on. There are portions of the game, when you think about soccer, that's something I would have told my four-year-old. Don't, work, don't be afraid of that soccer ball. Why? It might hurt for a second, but it's worth it. <laughs> All right? I might focus on that with my four-year-old, but not 10 and 11-year-olds where they're pounding this ball. I mean, they're going for it. Every, I mean, they're... Anyway. There's things you focus on in certain stages of the game, in certain stages of life. I'm going to tell you, sometimes in the discussion of the Holy Spirit, we get so enamored with things that were meant to be in the initial stages of redemptive plan. God had these for a dynamic reason in the formation of His redemptive plan. And you see this unfolded primarily even in the book of Acts. But then as you see God's redemptive plan unfolded, it is as if we are to focus on things that really, really matter for every day of our lives. My friends, that is the exact same with the Holy Spirit of God. In contemporary Christianity, and I know there's plenty of views and plenty of backgrounds and here even represented at this church, there's so many views about extra maybe miraculous, potentially extra-biblical expressions of the Spirit from visions and dreams and prophecies and healings and tongues and all of that. I'm going to tell you, God had a specific reason for those. Those were real. But then the temptation then is to say, well, maybe that's not here for today, but then you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you don't ever discuss the Holy Spirit of God. And you kind of pretend that, oh, that, the Holy Spirit of God was for the initial stages of the church. No, 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 my friends. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in this place right now. As we see the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, we're, we're not to obsess about certain things, but we are to obsess about other things. And I'm going to tell you, what are we to obsess about Obsess about Romans 8. Hold on to that with all you have. When you talk about the Holy Spirit of God, run to Romans 8. As we see God's redemptive plan unfold, especially in the New Testament, as the church continues beyond its establishment and the true apostolic need for sign gifts beyond that, Romans 8 is where the New Testament believer is to obsess especially when it comes to current and dynamic work of the Spirit. Run to Romans 8, and you'll see a wonderful description of the Holy Spirit of God and how the Holy Spirit of God works in the life of the new covenant believer. Romans 8, this text, is perhaps the clearest passage in all of Scripture describing the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of every new covenant believer. Friends, the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Don't ever discount this. 
Romans 8, Galatians 5, other such powerful passages remind us that the Holy Spirit of God is truly active, powerful, and has been given to every believer. Don't ever discount that. The Holy Spirit of God has not been given to be manipulated for some extra biblical expression. He's not been given to be used like a genie in a bottle for some self-gratifying feeling or sign. We have all seen a, a portion of that. But what has the Holy Spirit of God been given for? The Holy Spirit of God has been given primarily for the daily survivor, survival of every believer who is growing in grace and battling against the temptation of his own flesh. Believer, despite what popular trends in contemporary Christianity tell you, the Holy Spirit is not just for the Superman Christian who finally gained enough faith to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for the extra-devoted ones who are privileged to see God do some work. The Holy Spirit of God is not just for the fervent ones who have finally arrived at some plane of spirituality. My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't believe it! The Holy Spirit of God is for you! He is active and He is alive in your life. He has been given to you that you might truly live out your new life in Christ while still existing and functioning in a sin-cursed world. So we run to Romans 8. As we enter into the discussion of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, we will remember Romans 7, 6. And I love this. We talked of this two weeks ago. Romans 7, 6 says, we serve in the new way of the Spirit. He uses these concepts of serving in the new Spirit. In the spirit. This Holy Spirit of God is active in the life of a believer right now. Every believer. I love this, and I hope you're still hanging on. All right? I love this because in Romans, um, Romans 1 through 7, you find the expressions of the Holy Spirit, or, or expression of the Trinity mentioned, but you will find mentioned. I mean, there's some debate. I mean, you look at some of the words pneuma, and they could mean two different, either the, the inner spirit or the Holy Spirit. But less than five times the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned through seven chapters. Catch this. Uh, four, I think. Four times in seven chapters the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned in the book of Romans. You come to Romans chapter 8, 20 times the Holy Spirit is highlighted. This is wonderful. I mean, as we've been broken down and realized we cannot do this on our own, it is like God, through His Spirit, to Paul as he's writing this, is saying, oh yeah, you think you can't do it? Well, here, enter into the discussion, the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8 is a passage that clearly extols the dynamic work of the third person of the Trinity in the life of every true believer. Okay, we're going to take five minutes to clarify this whole concept of Trinity. You know, you've heard this since you're a younger critter. All of this, you've heard about the Trinity. But oftentimes it's good just to take a refresher clarification. Remind ourselves about this, this Trinity. Especially in the world we live in right now. There's so much confusion about the Trinity. 
This is at the foundation of every one of our beliefs as Orthodox believers, is this Trinity. What is this Trinity? The Holy Spirit is a member of this Trinity, so what is this Trinity? The Trinity is the divine three in one. One unified God in three distinct persons. So we have the tri-unity. The Trinity is not three gods in one person. That's the heresy of polytheism. The Trinity is not one God expressed three ways. That's the heresy called modalism. But one God in three persons. Although the word Trinity is not found in the Scripture, two undeniable truths are clearly seen through Scriptures, taught over and over again. Unity and distinctness. Tri-unity. Trinity. The Bible clearly teaches, and I know you probably heard this, but the Bible clearly teaches unity in the Godhead. So all three, God, all three persons are one God. And the Bible also clearly teaches distinctness in the Godhead. It teaches both. God's Word teaches both. They're not contradictory in any way. All three are distinct. So when you look at something like this, this really helps us to understand what's happening here. I mean, we have a lot of illustrations. We might go to the egg illustration or water illustration or the tree illustrations. All of those are good, but they fall apart in some instance. So we run to something like this. The Scripture clearly teaches all of this. The, t- the Scripture teaches that God the Father is truly God, but He is not the Son and not the Holy Spirit. They're distinct. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that God the Son, so Jesus is God. But He is clearly not the Holy Spirit and not the Father. Furthermore, the Bible teaches us that God the Holy Spirit is truly God. But He is not the Son and He is not the Father. So we have a triunity. We have distinctness, but we have unity. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the description of the Trinity in the Word of God. Three persons, one God. I will tell you, I mean, if you have any questions about this, this debate that's happening even in the 21st century is not new. (laughs) There are councils, there's all this stuff that has happened. I mean, I could just name off a couple of them right now. We won't go back into church history. For the last 2,000 years, this has been dialed in on, and I love it because what is used to dial in on this? The sufficient Word of God. What does God's Word say? Not to what I think about it, because this is clear also. Will you ever completely understand this? Absolutely not. We cannot, with our finite minds, understand this infinite truth. But we will trust it. Why? Because it is in God's sufficient Word. And clearly, my friends, this is how the sovereign God, he, every word in your Bible matters, and this is exactly how He wanted Himself to be revealed to you and to me. The point today is this. The Trinity is active in every believer. The Trinity. Every member of the Trinity is active in your life right now if you are a sinner saved by God's amazing grace. You say, what are you talking about? Well, if you go to the first part of Romans 5, we talked of this already. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are active in your justification. 
clearly they're mentioned and highlighted in the first part of Romans 5. Well, then you get to Romans 8, and I love this because the same things happen. Happens here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are clearly active in your sanctification, in your daily growth. As we come to the end of Romans 7 and are assured beyond a shadow of doubt that we cannot do this sanctification thing on our own, we praise Almighty God for Romans 8. Why? Because the Trinity is on our side. Catch that! You're not doing it on your own. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in every step of your spiritual journey. The Trinity is on your side. And again, we find this wonderful key truth as it highlights the third person of the Trinity in Romans 8. Here it is. As they seek for strength on their journey of sanctification, all true believers should embrace the continual comfort of the indwelling Holy Spirit. All right, so we've got a couple minutes. I told you we'd stop when time ran out. We've got a couple minutes, so let's jump into the first of these comforts, the assurance. The comfort of the indwelling Holy Spirit is seen as He enables believers to fulfill God's law. Boy, this is a discussion. I'm not going to go back and reteach what we've talked about the last two weeks in Romans 7, but this leads us directly into Romans 8. How does Paul say this? Would you just look with me again at verses 1 through 4? I know I have 4 on here, but let me just read 1 through 4 to kind of get our minds back in Romans 8, and we'll be done soon. Romans 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Clearly, in this text, you will find all three persons of the Trinity at work in the life of a believer to allow that believer to fulfill God's holy law. What is meant by this? God the Father sent God the Son to fulfill the condemning demands of His holy law. And who is the member of the Trinity? Catch this. Who is the member of the Trinity that applies this in the life of every true believer? It is God the Holy Spirit. He is the one who applies this in your life. When we talk of God's law, what are we referring to? I'm not going to go in depth to this, but we know in a formal sense God's law is referring to God's ceremonial expectations given to Moses at Sinai. That's the formal sense of God's law. And we know that these have been, all of this law has been clearly fulfilled by Christ on the cross. We can go to any number of passages to talk of this. However, in a general sense, and I want us to think in a general sense here of God's law, God's law is referring to God's moral expectations for all His creations. 
based on His character and His nature. Catch that. It's God's expectations based on who He is and what He wants His creations to do. God's moral law. Every individual ever born into the human race is under the demands of God's moral law. His moral expectations summarized so clearly in what? Well, if you want somewhere to go, go to the Ten Commandments. You'll find God's moral law just exposed in a massive way. If you want to see what God's moral law is, go to see how Jesus Christ himself uh, summarizes the first and second commandment. That God still has these moral laws in place for his creations. For believers, the eternal condemnation of God's holy law, and catch this, for believers, for those who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, God's holy law has been answered for by Christ on the cross. However, who has applied this in their hearts and is answering for the shortcomings in these demands every single day? It is the Holy Spirit of God. You're thinking, okay, you just said a ton, Pastor. (laughs) How does that work? (laughs) How does this function practically? Well, If you've placed repentant faith in Jesus Christ, God's law can never again point its finger at you and yell, condemned to hell. Hold on to that. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is so good. Um, Practically, who is the one that answers the condemning accusation in your life? So the law and God's justice are constantly pointing a finger saying, you're not good enough. Who is the one that answers that? Every day of your life. My friend, my brother and sisters in Christ, it is the Holy Spirit of God yelling back on your behalf every single day. What might the Holy Spirit be yelling to condemnation? Okay, so if we were to personify condemnation, Condemnation is coming to you every single day and saying you're not good enough. You didn't make it. Oh, you stole. You lied. You're a child of God, but you're not good enough. If we were to personify condemnation, what then would the answer of the Holy Spirit be? Well, my imagination goes, and I think the conversation would go something like this. Hey, condemnation, you can't touch this regenerate soul You got the wrong person. Sure, condemnation, this believer is still housed in the sinful flesh. And sure, condemnation, this believer still struggles to perfectly obey God's moral expectations. But, condemnation, you need to know that this is a soul that has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And condemnation, you need to know this. I have given new life to this dead heart. Condemnation, don't touch him! The Holy Spirit answers, I have written God's law on this heart. And I am empowering this beloved believer to obey God's moral expectation every single day. Sure, they don't meet up with everything, but my condemnation... Not so, friend. Don't touch him. 
this adopted child of God has been rescued from the penalty of sin and now condemnation. I am working in this obedient follower of Christ to rescue him from the power of sin. Condemnation, I am here to guarantee that you will never, ever, ever again touch the child of the living God. What's that you say, condemnation? Why? Well, it's because God's Word says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, don't you ever forget it. This week, with these thoughts overwhelming my heart of, Andrew, you can't do it. You come to the end of Romans 7 and you are massively deficient for the task at hand. And then the Holy Spirit of God speaking into my life saying, yeah, you can't, but I have fulfilled God's law in you. I have written God's law on your heart, Andrew Scott. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as we journey in sanctification in this broken world, let us find overwhelming comfort in the indwelling Holy Spirit. You can't do it. But God has blessed you with His comforter. Before we go, it would be good for us to consider a so what. Our time is up. And so we will come back to these other ones next week. It would be good for us to consider this so what, this question. As you battle fleshly sin and seek spiritual growth, will you truly find comfort in the indwelling Holy Spirit this week? My friend, will you? If you have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, you cannot claim this indwelling Holy Spirit. And you cannot do this on your own. My friend, it is no mistake that you are here today. Would you come to Jesus Christ today in saving faith? In just a minute, there will be chaplains at the front. would love to show you more about how to come to this Jesus Christ in saving faith to admit that you were a sinner in need of a rescuer, to believe that Jesus Christ is the only true rescuer, and then to call on Jesus Christ to save your soul. Would you come to Jesus Christ today? If you have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, I'm talking about young to old here today. Will you rejoice this week in the overwhelming comfort of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, my friend? You have a comforter. The one who has given you a new heart and is daily speaking for you against the condemnation of God's holy law. So our Father, we thank you through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we come to you in absolute gratitude and thank you for your work of grace in our hearts. We cannot do this on our own. Oh, let us come humbly before your throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of, time of need. Oh, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Oh, God, that we would see our need for you every single day. 
Oh God, that You would give us grace to set aside our stubborn rebellion, our egos, our self-dependence, and let us run to Your grace. Thank You, thank You, thank You for the indwelling Holy Spirit. As we walk out these doors today, Father, I pray that we would be overwhelmed. That this, this Spirit is not just an influence. Some mystical power. This is the third person of the Trinity living in our lives right now. Oh God, please remind us of this fact. My brothers and sisters in Christ here today, there's no mistake that you are here. And I don't know the exact reason God wanted you here today, but I would presume that is because you needed to hear the comfort of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who have not come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, I would again invite you to come to Christ today. In just a minute, we will sing a song of praise to Almighty God. We will sing, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. As the music is played, as we are singing songs of praise to God, would you even now leave your seat and come talk to someone to explain to you more what it means to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? There will be others around you, even your own friends sitting around you that would love to talk to you more about how to come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. There will be elders in the, audit, in the foyer at the end. We would love to talk to you more about this. But my friend, don't delay. Come to Jesus Christ today. For those of you who have come to Jesus Christ today, would you continue to submit your will to this indwelling Spirit as He grows you in grace? Would you find comfort this week through the troubles that you will walk through? Truly, for some in this room, the valley of the shadow of death you will interact with this week. Will you come, well, will you find comfort in the indwelling Holy Spirit? So God, we thank you for what you taught us today from your word. We thank you for the very appropriate sufficiency of your written word. Let us hold to it with all we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.